We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It is the Field of 68 After Dark on this Tuesday evening. I'm John Fanta. We are joined tonight by Coach Sean Miller as well as Ashton. And Gibbs, and we have a loaded show with you tonight. The Memphis Tigers facing number six outside, coming off those wins for Houston and Gonzaga. But in college basketball, expect the unexpected. Right now, Penny Hardaway's team is on the cusp of what would be a much needed, a critical win for their season. And let's begin right with that. Sean. Good evening. Uh, it's great to have you with us here tonight. Memphis on the cusp. Uh, what are you thinking about the Tigers here this evening? First of all, you're right around the corner, right? You're in Las Vegas. As I look at you right now, I can, I feel like you're in the neighborhood. Is that yeah, right? I am in the neighborhood. I, I am in the neighborhood. I got a bottle of wine right to the right of the laptop. I've got my, my robe here uh, to the left. Nice. That will not be on the nice. show tonight. And I'm yeah. in Las Vegas. I'm in Sin City, we'll, baby. We'll leave it there. We'll leave it there. And uh, you do you. All right. <laughs> I'm not going to Jeff Goodman's favorite spot, the Spearmint Rhino. I am not going to Goodman's favorite hangout. Good to hear. Yeah. You know, I, I think from my perspective, I, I follow Alabama uh, quite a bit. I'm a fan of the way they play in Nate Oates. But, you know, it's kind of the perfect storm here tonight. You know, you have one team. Think about what Alabama's done. They fly all the way across the country and play Gonzaga in Seattle and they beat them in Seattle and fly all the way home, both the trip out and the trip back. It's not an easy thing to manage. And then the next big test for them, they play arguably one of the more difficult teams to play against Houston. And if you watch that game and you have a definition of a rock fight in college basketball, that was it. I mean, it was as, Part of a game emotionally charged both teams, both really good teams. And now they win again. And now it's almost like now you're going to go, and I'm sure those guys are getting ready for final exams up to Memphis. And, you know, oh, by the way, they've lost four in a row. They're desperate. Uh, it's like, this is it. This is the game for them. And by the way, Memphis is talented. So, you know, it's, it's just, to me, Alabama didn't look like they had the juice that they normally do. And credit Memphis, you know, they played up to their talent level. And as I think we all are well aware, they have a few guys that can really, really play. And, John, the last part I would say is young players hit their strides at different points. 
you know, don't be surprised if this isn't the game that really spurs on a guy like, you know, Jalen to really put it all together and never look back. So uh, kind of, uh, I think, a meeting of two different things which heavily favored uh, heavily favored Memphis unless something crazy happens here at the end. I think the, the Ashton, your thoughts on the go ahead. So finally we get it from Memphis, obviously tons of potential, uh, great young guys. You talk about Jalen Duran, Amani Bates. Uh, I think the biggest, uh, I think the biggest, you know, turnaround was Amani not playing as much point guard today, tonight, and uh, kind of put him off the ball a bit, started him on the ball. Um, but I think his biggest, his biggest thing is just going to be decision-making. Uh, Memphis is uh, just turning the ball over. I think in the beginning of the season, that's been their Achilles heel. Um, and, you know, against a, a tough Alabama team with these type of guards, they really kept the game under control, made good decisions, and uh, probably going to end up in a win. Yeah, this is huge for Memphis. They had to have this game. Yeah, you, you, you have to have a moment. I know it's against the number six team in the country, but it felt like either now or never, you're going to figure this out um, or it's never going to happen. And look, what we can say about Penny Hardaway's groups is that they defend and they've done a real nice job tonight against Alabama, Alabama 10 30 from beyond the arc. Um, and look, they've, they've held Jaden Shackelford and Javon Quinterly to a combined eight for 21 from the field. I think that's the head of the snake for Alabama. No question though. Timing's everything. And, and you know that Sean, the ups and downs of a season, Alabama's coming off such a high, you come into this hostile atmosphere. Memphis fans are so good. But what I look at here tonight is 19 assists on 31 field goals. Like Memphis has found some ball movement. Landers Nolly, by default, has to be a guy that makes some plays for others, and he has tonight. Yeah, you know, you hit on defense. And, you know, remember the one thing about basketball, the offense is connected to defense and vice versa, right? Your defense is connected to offense. If you're a team like Ashton mentioned that struggles taking care of the ball, you have live ball turnovers, which are steals by the other team and your decision-making plagues you offensively. I mean, you could have a great scheme, a talented group and a team that's willing to defend, but you can't defend two on ones, wide open threes and the things that happen when you turn the ball over. And I think the first start towards Memphis's rise is chip away at the turnover problem. You know, you're not going to go from bad to great, but bad to fair and just, you know, fair creeps into good. And before you know it, I think as they start taking care of the ball better, less turnovers, more shots at the basket, guess what? Their strength will be really amplified. And that is they're going to play five on five more defensively, and they're going to be a very difficult team to score against. If you can defend Alabama like they have tonight, you can defend any team on your schedule. Yeah, I, I think also their, their sense of urgency, they just seemed a little bit, they se seemed a bit more confident, but I think they played a lot harder today. Uh, possession by possession, you could tell they were really locked in, especially defensively, um, securing rebounds, keeping guys in front of you, especially playing against a, a tough Alabama team when you have guards that can create, get in the lane at will. Um, I thought Memphis did a really good job of keeping guys in front, securing rebounds, 
and then making good good decisions on offense. Jalen Duran, 14 points, 7 of 9 from the field, 6 rebounds. Sean, what makes Jalen Duran a potential lottery pick? You know, number one is this, John. He, he just kind of has to unpack his bags, put the key in the door, and focus on what do I have to do to be the best basketball player here at Memphis? You know, what is it that I need to work on to make my team better? So much pressure is on these young guys like Jalen before they ever enter school. It's almost as if it's an inconvenience to be there. And I don't mean that at all towards Jalen's attitude, but it's a hard narrative for an 18-year-old to overcome when the only thing that people want to talk to you about is, you know, what pick are you going to be? And it's predetermined they're going to leave. If you predetermine a one and done, you know, in a sense, you're going to be at school for about six and a half months. And I think what allows those guys to be the best they can be, which also allows them to be the highest pick that they deserve to be, is by their performance in the one year that they're in college. And if Jalen continues to develop and continues to listen to, you know, Penny and, and Rasheed Wallace and Larry Brown and gets better as a defensive player and just keeps practicing and working and working and working and putting his time in, those other things will take care of themselves. And, you know, Amani Bates, I'm sure, is dealing with the same thing. In Amani's case, you know, he, he reclassified – I think Jalen did in a way too. I mean, you're talking about guys that could be seniors in high school being judged in December of their freshman year in college. I mean, about a decade ago in December of your first year in college, you were just trying to figure out what school felt like. And, uh, and I think that's, that's the hardest part sometimes for those younger guys, but tonight could be a real big step. It's a confidence booster and they did it on a big stage. I think just using his physical prowess um, at the end of the day, he's, he's a young guy, freshman, and the, the better he is around the basket, finishing with both, with both hands, I think the better he'll be. But like coach said, really taking it one day at a time and just chopping wood and uh, just getting better um, and winning. I think that's the biggest difference, you know, coming from high school to college is more about just winning, making winning plays, not only on the offensive end, but defensively as well. And I think if he uh, really attributes to that and really locks in on that, he'll be fine. Sean, I think it's so interesting as Memphis is wrapping it up, now they're dribbling it out, a 92-78 to win at the FedEx Forum and a, a reinvigorating night for Memphis basketball to go to six and four. They get it done, and that's a huge win for their resume. Sean, you brought up the fact of focus. And for an 18-year-old kid, there's so much going on. But then again, he's got to be in your, your gym every day for three hours, if not more. There's class, but there's a circle of people. There's all this stuff going on around him. So as a coach, if you're in the role of Penny Hardaway and his assistant, take me through as a head coach of a one-and-done player what the process is of day by day, keeping someone focused, helping them get better, but living in the moment. Well, all those conversations have to happen before they ever come to the school that they choose. You know, the tone is set, the expectations are set. And, you know, Ashton mentioned it, 
you can't skip what's the most important for everybody, including the coach, which is winning. And if, if you look at recent history, you know, teams that go deep in the NCAA tournament that have those magical 30 win seasons, players on those teams get the benefit of the doubt. They're not necessarily players that are averaging 22 points and 10 rebounds or, you know, had 40 point performances throughout the year. They're consistent players on really, really good teams. Winning takes care of it. And, you know, my motto with our guys constantly, and you couldn't say it enough just to reinforce it with team success comes all of the individual accolades for all of us, but those individual accolades are much more harder to come by when the team that you're playing on is mediocre. And, you know, so that's what leads you to practice and lifting weights, being on time and playing within a system. The other part of it is, you know, John, the biggest adjustment for these guys when they leave college to the NBA is playing with other great players. If you are in college as, as a guy that's thinking about leaving in one year or in these guys' case where they're definitely going to leave, being able to play in a system and function with other talented players, both on offense and defense, being a winning player, being a player that everybody can point to as, man, it was night and day. When I watched him in November, this is where he was as a player. Now look at him here in February. So all of those things, those tangible things, become even more important when they leave college and become a part of the NBA. And I'm sure when you look at the staff at Memphis, their pedigree and them being in the NBA as a coach and player, you know, all those, I'm sure, lessons are being talked about right now. But the switch doesn't always come on game one. You know, this game right here could propel Memphis. They lost four in a row before this game. I think they have Tennessee next. You know, don't, don't be surprised if they don't win 10 of their next 12 or 12 of their next 14. It can happen. I agree, coach. And I think um, the the winning traits have to carry. And then also just learning scouts. I think that's one of the biggest uh, differences going, going from high school to college also is uh, scouting reports, depending on who you play, especially in conference, when you have so many different type of styles and systems that uh, different teams run. So uh, not not only for Jalen, but Amani Bates, as, as he's playing this point guard position, um, that he's going to see different schemes, whether it's off of ball screens, whether it's off of dribble handoffs, pin downs, whatever the case may be, he'll see different uh, systems, different uh, defensive schemes, and they have to really adjust to it. Ashton, when you were at Pitt, do you remember a game that you played that might have changed an entire season? Like one one night that just swung it into a different direction. Well, individually, my freshman year, um, we're in conference and we're playing against Notre Dame my freshman year, and um, it was just one of those hot nights for me. And I think uh, just as a, as a freshman, you need one of those one of those games just to just to build confidence, yeah. especially against um, a conference foe. They they were really good at that time. Um, they came into the P and it was just one of those days where guys were finding me. I was, I was moving without the ball and it kind of led to my surgeons from there. Um, just my confidence overall. So one game could take you and it could catapult you, uh, individually and then collectively as a team. Also. I thought you were going to talk about the sweet 16 win 
that lets you get to the Elite Eight to play Villanova. One of the luckiest wins in history. They just, I didn't want to bring it up. <laughs> yeah. If, if Derek Brown didn't step on the end line, I still haven't forgiven him to this day for no reason. Uh, that might have ended your freshman year right there. Yeah, you, you you guys were you guys were tough, man. Uh, yeah, so were you. Uh, yeah. you what was uh, your yeah. scout? I mean, what was your scout on Ashton? Knockdown shooter, a smart player, a guy that makes other people better. And uh, but a great example of John on a serious note of what you're talking about. Ashton at that point, think about it. He's in his first year. He's in the Sweet 16. He's a piece to a puzzle. He's playing on a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. That's his team, DeWan Blair and, and guys all over the court that could play. They're trying to get to the final four. And, uh, and you know what, isn't it funny? A lot of years have gone by since that game, yet he can remember that game almost like it was yesterday, and so can I. And that's why with team success comes those individual accolades. And, you know, your fondest memories, I think, always accompany a big moment, a big game. And these young players, sometimes it takes them a little bit of time to acclimate into the importance of winning in college basketball. You'll see winning. The criticism, the criticism tonight for Memphis's team will disappear. It'll be filled with accolades and it'll be a great opportunity for Memphis's staff to say, you see what happens when you win. We all get respect. Yeah. And, you know, in some ways, I'm sure there's some guys tonight on Memphis's team that played a very typical game like they have played. What's the difference? You beat Alabama. And I think that as you learn what comes with that winning, uh, a lot of other good habits follow. All right, last thing here on Memphis. Do you buy Memphis being a team that in March is hearing their name on Selection Sunday? I'm going to pass on that one. I won't sell them yet, but when you turn the ball over like they have, it's almost an incurable disease. You know, you, you can maybe have a good day once in a while, but I think until they prove over long stretches that turnover problems have, have gotten a lot better and that's in their rear view mirror, it's tough to really trust that they're going to be able to do it. If they could, though, fix that right there, then some of their strengths, like their length and their defense that showed tonight, it will be amplified. I'll probably pass on it as well. Um, only reason um, if, if they if they put Imani Bates off of the ball as a secondary ball handler, I actually think they skyrocket. Um, I think he's a really good guy that can get downhill, make plays for himself, make plays for others as a secondary guy, um, and I think that can really change their their uh, turnover issues. To be honest with you, um, but they uh, they they have a good team. They have the talent. Overall, it's, it's still early in a sense. So, um, but I'm gonna pass just to see if uh, if he does if he does well as a secondary ball handler. I think that's where Memphis will skyrocket. Couldn't agree with you guys more. When you don't have a primary ball handler from game to game that can make plays for others, and that's the key missing piece. I mean, that should be at the top of Memphis's Christmas list. No question about it. Because if you have that in place, it changes everything. But the other aspect of it is the Tigers don't play in a strong enough league in which if you take a bad loss or two because of a turnover problem, it's going to be hard to make up for that. Plus, like we've talked about, John, in, uh, over the last month, November and December – 
it's not a warm-up time for college basketball. These non-conference opportunities on neutral courts, you know, exempt tournaments, big games like tonight, home court playing an SEC team, you, you get one shot at it. And, and sometimes when you get towards Christmas and you haven't, had, haven't been able to attain that success, um, it's just difficult. You know, it's just, it's almost like the train left the tracks and uh, unless you win the conference tournament, it's not in the cards. Well, a team that has not needed any time to warm up or ease into things is one of the surprises, not only in the Big East Conference, but nationally. I'm talking about the 10-1 and Providence Friars, off to a 10-1 and start for just the second time in the Ed Cooley era that has spanned 11 years. And what Cooley has done to turn around Providence basketball and ascend this program is one of the best coaching jobs in this sport. And this season has been a big bounce back year. And we have an exclusive tonight with the Friars lead man who has a big time game on Saturday evening at the XL Center in Hartford that we will get to when the Providence Friars take on the Yukon Huskies. Our After Dark exclusive, the full thing, which will be put to YouTube. But first, a nice clipping here with Sean Miller and Ed Cooley, a great coach's corner. Ed Cooley, it's Sean Miller. It's uh, it's great to see you, my man. When you live in the in the southwest and you live in the northwest northeast, it's it's not every day that we can uh, visit. So it's great to have you on, man. Thanks a lot for having me, Sean. It's great to see you. Great to great to spend some time together. I'm a member of the media, man. So you know, just you know, try to try to see me for what I once was. All right. <laughs> hey, listen. Uh, I want to talk about a number of things, uh, and obviously you and I are good friends, but I know you got a big game coming up this weekend, and, uh, you know, I was thinking about it, Ed. You know, when I think of the Big East, I go back to the days when I played because I never really coached in it, right. and, uh, man, I, Providence and UConn, it just has to feel good for New England, even for you, just to have a game against UConn that represents the Big East again being able to play them home in a way like it has to be, it almost has to feel right. Am I correct on that? You are. It's, it's, it's a natural, it's a natural rivalry. You know, it's one of the uh, founding schools in the big East, you know, way back when Dave Gabbett's vision came to, and obviously at the pinnacle with Patrick Ewan and, and uh, Chris Mullen, um, you know, those, you know, they're synonymous with, you know, the Big East. I, mean, I know you remember playing at Fitzgerald Field House, yeah. right, at Pitt and, you know, you know, getting run over by the Georgetown guys. <laughs> no, I ran. <laughs> they couldn't catch me, man. I didn't want to know part of that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's um, you know, I mean, obviously they're a monster. They, you know, what, what, what Danny's doing down there right now and what he's been able to, to revitalize the program. And um, they're very talented, very tough. Uh, you know, we're going to walk into a buzzsaw and, uh, you know, our players are excited. I'm pretty sure his players are excited. So natural rivalry, we'll see what happens. Back in the day when Calhoun was at UConn and we would go up there, I think it was called the Hartford Civic Center. And 
I'll never forget, it was attached to the hotel. You went from kind of like your room and you're able to walk into the arena. And uh, that's when I really understood the, the, the pageantry and the love for college basketball in New England. Mm -hmm. Because obviously your home court speaks for itself as well. But I mean, the fans at that game and in that arena were ratcheted up. I mean, you knew you were in for a fight. And I can imagine this being kind of the, the new beginning for the Big East with you two guys that that would be one heck of an atmosphere on Saturday. Yeah, we're expecting a sellout crowd there at the XL Center, they call it now. Um, I believe we were their last Big East game in 2013 at Gamble prior to the split. And we will be their first Big East game in front of fans because last year, their first year was a COVID year without fans. So it is going to be a great game, great atmosphere. It'll be great uh, televised on Fox, uh, National Fox at 5 p.m. Um, it should be an exciting time. And I just hope the Friars could be mentally, physically, and emotionally uh, tough. You'll be ready. And I'm going to tell you this. When I'm laying on my couch, you'll have my undivided support. <laughs> call a timeout for me. Call a timeout. <laughs> sweat, let me tell you something. The sweat you'll be dealing with be much different than the sweat I'm dealing with. Uh, trust me. There's a big difference, brother. Hey, listen, Ed. I, I, I watch you guys. You're up to off to a 10-1 and one start and try to follow you religiously. What I love about your team, and, and I like just to kind of talk to you about this, it seems like you're equally balanced, like your defense and offense, you know, are about equal in terms of performance, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, and the one thing like statistically, your teams always do a good job, especially when they're really good getting to the free throw line. You're top 10 in the country right now in free throw attempts. And uh, I just, you know, for me, like watching all these games, right? I don't have my team anymore. So you're fixated on Providence. I, I kind of see the whole, it's amazing with today's world of college basketball, like there's so many flows and four out one in that there are a lot of teams that don't get to the foul line. Mm. And I, I think, man, there's not a bigger stat towards winning than if you can get there, get their team in foul trouble, convert when you get there. You know, it, it just has such great meaning towards winning. And I just wanted to ask you about that because I've always felt like playing against you, watching you, that that's always been an emphasis for you on offense? It's one of our key components we really talk about is our goal every game is to make more than the other team attempts. Yeah. I feel that stat line goes a long, long way because you can control the game if you're getting fouled. You're yeah. controlling the game if you can play inside out. You yeah. know, can you touch the paint on multiple efforts in one possession, whether it's a hand check, whether it's a bump, whether it's throwing a ball to the post, uh, whether it's a dive to the basket off of our progression cuts, as you know, you know, yeah. what can we get at the basket to play inside out? And if we could uh, make more than you attempt, we're going to put ourselves in a good situation to have success. You can catch that full conversation on the Field of 68 YouTube channel to come between Sean Miller and Ed Cooley. It ran about a half hour. Really fun listen. Sean, your biggest takeaways from talking with the head coach of the Providence Friars? 
Well, I know Ed well. He's he's a great friend of mine, and you know, I think that really the thing that always sticks out um, about him is just his um, big personality that can make everybody smile. And and I think from a coaching perspective, can really bring out the best in young people and the team that he coaches. And he's off to he's off to a great start. The game uh, this weekend, UConn welcoming them back in the Big East. I know it's a huge game in New England. It'll be a big game for both teams. It's Big East play and uh, just feels right. You know, me being way out here, uh, played in the Big East a billion years ago. It's just, it's kind of how it used to be and it's returned. So credit to the Big East and uh, should be a great game. Yeah, Coach Cooley, the ultimate players coach, it seems like. And uh, his, his players just feed off of his passion and his love for the game. That's what it seems like. I, I think they have a really good squad, but he gets his players to play hard. They, they play really hard. That's the first thing I think of when I think of Providence is possession by possession, how hard and tough they play. And that passion that Coach Cooley has, you know, he def- the players definitely feed off of it. So it'll be a, a great game this weekend against UConn, and I'm definitely looking forward to it. Two really difficult places to play, too. Ed and I talked about it on, on that interview. I don't know if that showed up, but you, know, you play UConn, whether it be in, I call it the Hartford Civic Center. I know it has a different name now, or on campus there at Gamble. I mean, you're catching, you're catching a passionate fan base, a live crowd, and a hard-playing group. Ditto for Providence, right? You go to uh, the Dunkin' Donuts Center, and you, know, you play in front of that crowd. It just it's not an easy place to play for a visitor. And, you know, Ashton, I'm sure you could speak to that. I mean, you're the visiting team going to either one of those two places. You get off the bus knowing that tonight's going to be hard. It, it starts in warmups, man. The fans yeah. um, in, in both arenas. Uh, we were actually number one in the country. We went to uh, Dunkin' Donuts Arena and, and lost. They stormed the court. But the atmosphere was absolutely crazy. It was unbelievable. But and those guys feed off of the atmosphere. That's the biggest thing. So um, and then UConn is UConn. Um, yeah. You know, pedigree, the history, the the talent, the talent of players. You know, it's all elite, top notch. Yeah, yeah, and they're going to be good. You know, I'm looking at the stats and just talking yeah. to Ed a little bit. You know. Providence does a great job of getting to the foul line. They're top 10 in the country in free throw attempts per game, which is a great stat. Defensively, Providence does a really good job of being hard to score against inside the arc, like around the rim. So far, you know, their defense has shined. They don't foul a lot, and they're they're hard to score against from two. You look at UConn, like they have the same characteristics, except – they might even be more elite with their shot blocking. They foul more, but they're tough to score against inside the arc. They play very, very hard. They get fouled a lot. So you go to that game now, whoever shoots and makes more free throws, that's a big stat in that game. That's a game where the three officials have a really interesting duty because it's going to be played like the year's 1988. Will yeah. they allow it to be played that way is a different question. It should be an absolute war there on Saturday. And and I think that it bears noting here for for just a a final thought on Providence basketball. Like, people don't fully understand. Ed Cooley came from nothing. He grew up 
in a broken home. Uh, he's told the story. He's spoken openly about this. They had to rely on heat day to day, uh, boiling water, um, really meal to meal type of, of life growing up. He, he got very emotional earlier this season. I got a chance to talk with him Thanksgiving week. He said he woke up on Thanksgiving morning in his beautiful home in Providence. He just started crying. He started crying because, and his wife said, why are you crying? And he said, because I look back and one time taken, like we, we used every drop of water we could have. And now it's a luxury. And it's, it's in Providence, Rhode Island. I mean, he lives about a half hour away from campus. But it's amazing here that this guy grew up in that town. There is not a coach that fits a program in terms of a marriage, more than Ed Cooley has fit Providence College. And to see what he's done with this program is truly, truly special. He is the perfect example of what it means to fulfill a dream. He's, he's great. He's great off the court, on the court. And like we talked about, he can make everybody smile. But what that means to him as a coach is he can really bring out the best in his players and the team that he coaches. You know, Ashton mentioned it. When you think of Providence, you think about a hard-playing team, team that plays together with great effort. You know, that starts at the top with him and his staff. And he has a way of really being, being that director, you know, of, of things. But I couldn't agree with you more, uh, John. And uh, he deserves tremendous credit because his success at Providence as well, on the court, getting to the NCAA tournament, being able to do it over a long period of time is something that uh, has, has not been done. And uh, it certainly hasn't been done in a way that, that Ed has done. Yeah, being humble and, and that humility always resonates with players, um, especially when you have guys that don't come from much as well. Um, I think Coach Cooley does a great job of just connecting with guys. I've actually had the chance to know him. He, he recruited my younger brother a bit. So he uh, just his day to day, he just genuine spirit, pure spirit. And that resonates with your players. They, they want to play hard for you and go out there and, you know, win as many games, um, not only for themselves, but for the coaching staff as well. All right. We've got a little less than a half hour to go here on Field of 68 After Dark. If you've got a question, if you've got a comment, fire away. We'll take it over the next half hour or so. Let's look around the country. Right here and now, a team outside the top five, the top eight that we are always talking about, biggest surprises in the sport for the better or for worse, the other way, maybe a disappointing surprise. Ash, I'm going to start with you. Your biggest surprise in college basketball thus far is? Uh, I, I would say Minnesota. Um, I, I think Coach Ben Johnson, he's doing a really good job. Uh, Jamison Battle is uh, one of their big transfers. And you talk about some big wins that they have. And I, I don't think too many people expected to expected them to be this good. Losing Marcus Carr as well, um, they, they, they really came out strong. I think overall, uh, Ben Johnson really has his team playing well. Sean? You know, for me, I, I'll, I'll give you uh, two different – surprises I think on the you know heavyweight side I don't think you can discount the obvious 
which is how can Baylor win the national championship, lose the cast that they had, and be number one in the country in mid-December. I mean, it, it is truly a testament, remarkable testament to Scott Drew and his staff. His staff has been there a long time with him and just being able to bounce from, and keep this in mind, John, if there was an NCAA tournament a couple years ago when COVID ended it, they were one of the favorites to win it that year. So really yeah. the last three years, they've kind of been at the throat of the number one seed, being the overall number one team in the country and really trying to compete for a national championship. What they did to Villanova, and we talked about it earlier today, um, I've never seen a team that's as respected as Villanova, that's as good as they are, get dismantled by another team's defense like Baylor did to them. I mean, they had 12 field goals in the game. They were six for 27 from two. They shot only 10 free throws. They did not score 40 points in the game. And it wasn't as if they missed a bunch of wide open shots. It was simply like they couldn't get a good shot off. And it just, it's astonishing for me to watch what Baylor has become. Uh, and then I think the other team is Iowa State. A lot like Ashton talked about Minnesota. You know, when you inherit a team that had the tough season under COVID, uh, like Iowa State did a year ago, you know, mixing in the right transfers. But TJ, you talk about like Ed Cooley being a good fit at Providence. TJ is a very good fit in Ames, Iowa at Iowa State. Like to me, they they really uh, exemplify each other. I think he's really comfortable there. He that's that's where he's at his best. He's been there as an assistant. I know on I think two different times. So, uh, but think about it. You two and twenty two a year ago. Is that right? Yeah. And right now they're. 10 and 0? 10 and 0. 10 and 0. That's 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 his, you know, on one hand, you have Baylor, which we just finished talking about. And I think down here you have Iowa State and Minnesota, which are two great stories as we approach Christmas. Hey, grab the popcorn and get ready for Big Monday in the Big 12. That nine Eastern time time slot that they get on ESPN every Monday night. It's envious to the rest of college basketball. And I look at at Iowa. State, they do not do it pretty. Yeah, This has not been glamorous. But Tyrese Hunter, a freshman, over five assists per game. Isaiah Brockington, big game, big-time player with with the type of skill set that can make things happen. When Iowa State, there's something to be said about a team, and and I think for both of you, you can reflect on this. Like, again, offensively, it's nothing to necessarily write home about. But you can tell when it's a well-coached team – they hit timely shots. They hit timely shots when they when they need to do so. And the defensive end of the floor, what, what we've seen them do on defense has been terrific uh, under a first-year head coach with a program that just had two wins last season. This, this is the biggest surprise in college basketball, I would say, in several years. Nobody, nobody in their right mind would have predicted Iowa State to be 10 and 0, even the biggest Cyclones fan out there in the wonderful town of Ames, which you walk into Hilton and good golly, it's, it's kind of like a cult following. Great home court. Yeah. Great home court. A great crowd. Yeah. But no, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And you know, on the heels of that too, John, when you talk about who's the best 
conference uh, in college basketball. I, I don't think that's really up for debate or even close. The Big 12 from top to bottom stands alone. You know, right now, going into tonight, they have won as a conference 85% of their games, 85%. Uh, you, I mean, we're, we're just a couple weeks away from conference play beginning all across the country. I mean, that's winning almost nine out of every 10, 10 games that they've played. And it's just the top to bottom strength with the top being Baylor and Kansas. And then, you know, obviously Texas, you think about what they're going to become as the season keeps unfolding. Uh, it is an amazing conference. I think it's loaded with talent. I think it's loaded with uh, high-level coaches as well. Um, like you said, Baylor, Kansas, uh, Texas, the talent level. Um, I Just thinking about the scene hall in the Texas game, the talent level that Texas had, when you talk about Trey Mitchell, one of the best players in the A-10, you got Marcus Carr, uh, one of the best players in the country, number one uh, grad transfer in the country, um, that Big 12, just the talent level combined with great coaching, um, it, it, it's going to be a great season. It's going to be a great conference season. I think the conference tournament, and I'm just looking forward to seeing who actually gets in as well from the Big 12. They're going to get a ton of bids, Ashton. You know, it's just uh, I, I hate to talk about it as much as we are in December, but, you know, look, November and December, it, it's the foundation for how many bids a conference gets. When you win 85% of your non-conference games and you have a team like Baylor at the top, I mean, by the time they get into the Big 12 tournament, I mean, you're talking about everybody, almost every single team in their conference is going to be vying for a bid. And if, if, if I'm wrong, maybe one or two will drop out, but they've all done so many good things here in these first couple of months that it's going to sustain them. It's going to sustain it all the way through. Truth. You got to make hay because when conference play starts up, what you don't want to have is situations where you are facing a team that on a given night could pick you off, but their non-conference resume isn't reflective of that. And then yeah. you take a loss to them and it hurts everybody. It hurts yeah. everybody. You like know, that, tonight, that, that's hey, like tonight, for example, Arizona state taking out Creighton. Yes. That's punishes the Big East a little bit there, John. The Sun Devils. Sun Devils got him. Yeah. <laughs> Sun Devils got him. Good win for Bobby Hurley. I'll tell you what, though. I'll flip it. And in the Big East, by the same token, DePaul tonight, trap game at UIC, a game that they should not play. They win. They're 9-1. and one. So no longer, if DePaul picks off, name that Big East school, they're going to win a conference. You know, you're yeah. going to win a couple conference games. Now you're not, you don't have a net of 280. That's why the Big East is a solid second. They're behind the Big 12. But again, their, their non-conference performance, they've won 79% of their non-conference games going into tonight. I mean, again, the depth of quality of players and teams, you know, you guys know Seton Hall very well. I mean, what Kevin Willard has done in the season they've had so far, not only with their record, but some of the teams they've beaten to get to that record, that, that means even more, but the big, the big East and the big 12, you know, they stand alone. And then, you know, the big 10 and sec are very good conferences, but they just have not performed at the, at the highest level, like the big 12 and the big East have. And, you know, back to my point about the PAC 12, if you take out UCLA, USC and Arizona, 
the rest of the league has a combined non-conference win percentage of 57%. Yeah. So again, when you start talking about a fourth team in the Pac-12, it's almost unrealistic at this point unless that team would win the Pac-12 tournament. And, you know, you go, hey, three from the Pac-12, where are all those other bids going? They're going to, it's going to be about the ninth place team in the big, in the, in the, in the big 12 and deservedly. So. Yeah. I mean, if you took out Arizona, UCLA and USC on the Pac-12, it would be the equivalent of walking into a McDonald's and them saying that they're out of quarter pounders and McChickens. <laughs> you know what? I, I love, I love those guys. Uh, they, I, I got to spit facts out. I have no comeback. I have no comeback. You're comeback. right. Now, I also will tell you that based on my own two eyes, that if you happen to catch Arizona, UCLA, or USC on a neutral court in March, you better be ready to play because all three of those teams are capable of going deep into the NCAA tournament. So let's stay with the Wildcats to beat Illinois on Saturday. And I got to ask you about Benedict Matherin, who had 30 points. How did you find Ben Matherin? You know where Ben almost went to school, John? I would say it'd be like a 51-49 victory that we got, Ben. Baylor. Can you imagine that? Wow. <laughs> For the rest of the world, they should be, they should be thankful that he didn't, didn't go there. But, you know, Ben <laughs> is one of the youngest players that I've ever coached a year ago. He, uh, he was 17 years old, just turning 18. Uh, you know, right now, if you look at him, he's a very young sophomore. I mean, he's really a, a freshman in college when you consider how old he is, but he has the ability to shoot the ball in such a, you know how there's a natural stroke for a golfer. You know, you watch a guy kind of swing it and it's just, man, it just looks right. Even when they start playing, you just, without a lot of practices, they just kind of have it. I would say Ben's kind of like that shooting. And as he's worked and, and as he's grown as a player, um, he is certainly one of college basketball's best. And playing on a really good team, and Tommy Lloyd's doing a, a great job coaching him as a staff. It's not easy in that transition to get it right when one coach leaves and another comes in, but they really, they really have gotten it right. And, you know, one of the more remarkable stats over the weekend – Illinois made 16 threes. Once you think about that, like Ashton, how it feels in a game when the other team makes, not takes, but makes 16 threes, it's hard to beat that team. And I think it really shows the firepower that those guys have right now and the way they're playing offense and the way they stick with it. Uh, that was an amazing win. One of the best, I think, of the early season. And I think they have a resiliency and a toughness about them where uh, they're not going to be an easy team to beat. For sure. I love Ben Matherin, man. He's one of my favorite players actually in college. Um, he can score at all three levels. I just think his toughness and his energy that he brings, even defensively, um, is contagious with this Arizona group. Yeah. And uh, from top to bottom, they, they have a bunch of guys um, that can dribble, pass, and shoot with the best of them, I yeah. think. Uh, I think that's that's the biggest thing that I just like about him is every almost every guy can uh, make a play for himself or make a play for others. And they do a really good job. Tommy's doing a really good job with them. 
and putting them in a lot of, you know, ball screens, dribble handoff situations, or even ISO situations where they can create for themselves or create for others as well. You know, if you look on Ken Palm, there's a stat at the end on every team's page, and it's basically average height. And it takes into consideration the 200 minutes that you have in a college basketball game. And, you know, they're looking at who plays those minutes and to determine, you know, kind of the ranking height. Arizona's two. So think about what you just said. If you have a skilled group like that, and that's really what you said, they have a very skilled team. Skilled and they're the second tallest team in college basketball. I think you really have something special. Azulis Tabellis, I felt it last year when he was a freshman. He's a hard matchup because in a sense, he's a face-up four, but he's bigger than you think he is. I mean, he can really punish you around the basket. So, you know, some of the teams that are playing that fluid four out, one in, uh, Arizona is very creative in using his strengths around the basket. So you're not dealing with just one guy around the basket. You know, you're really dealing with two guys throughout the game, and that can really wear the other team down. I love Tabellis. I love Loco as well. I think yep. just the way he's able to change shots around the basket, he can finish, um, but I, I think Tabellis, like, I, I, I saw that Tommy put him in a lot of ISO situations, not a lot, but a, a few ISO situations around that elbow foul line area for him to create for himself, for him to create for others. And he does a really good job of passing um, out when, when two guys converge. So um, He I knows how to play. You know, that's the thing about FIBA, that guys really understand team concepts. Sometimes those guys almost understand the team concept much more than the individual, like skill development piece, you know, pivoting, you know, having the proper footwork on every shot you take, et cetera, you know, those things. But it, the flow of playing the game five on five, they just, they have it. Uh, and it's, it's when you coach them, once they get stronger and kind of learn the differences between FIBA and international and college basketball, they really take off. Lowry Markinen, you know, obviously is immensely talented. If you watched him in November, you saw what he could become. But if you saw him near the end, February, I mean, as he got more accustomed to what life's like around the basket, the physicality and adjusted, uh, it all came together for him. And, uh, you know, I think last year, a lot of the guys you're seeing, they made a lot of progression. And then, you know, you get rid of COVID, and they can have a great offseason, a really, really good coach, staff. And, you know, the other part, Ashton, is they have a new beginning. You know, not only did those guys, everybody deal with COVID and how hard that was in and of itself, but they didn't have the opportunity to play in front of any crowd. They didn't play in the Pac-12 tournament or the NCAA tournament. So you're, you're catching a hungry group of guys right now. You know, in a way, they're kind of taking it out on everybody on all the different things they had to go through a year ago. Sean, how much have you talked to Tommy Lloyd? You know, I've talked to him a couple of times. I, he doesn't need advice from me and he needs to implement his own program. And uh, I allow him to do that, but I'm cheering for those guys. What's different for me, John, is I was at Arizona for 12 years, you know, yeah. and even in our last year, we, we weren't eight and 20. I mean, we, we had a good team. We time ran out. Um, you know, keeping in mind, James Akinjo was with us as well. So in um, Jordan Brown, but they have done in their own right, 
They don't need me to praise them. They, in their own right, are playing great basketball. They've already established themselves that they're going to have a great season. Hopefully, they'll have continued health because if they stay healthy, they can beat anybody. And I think the one guy, Kirk Creesa, that's a little bit different between him and the rest of them is Kerr was only allowed to play seven games last year. So, I mean, at one point we actually sent him home so that he could play for his home country in a FIBA tournament. <laughs> right. So you can imagine like you saw him every day and you knew, and when you watched him play at the end, he just has a different way, a different speed and skill level. But now that he's full time and he's able to play from game one and he's a year older, you see what he can do as well. And, He's, he's also an exciting player. I, I love watching him play. Some great stuff, great perspective on the Wildcats uh, who are off to such a strong start to the season. And Ben Matherin, that's a, such a fascinating storyline. Uh, and it's, it is good for the rest of college hoops that he's not a Baylor Bear because the Baylor Bears don't need any more assistance. And, and let's turn to them here and get into tip-ins with less than 10 minutes to Ashton. Why are the Bears the best team in America? Uh, like, like I was saying, similar to Arizona, they have so many guys that can create off the bounce from top to bottom, and they're athletic. They really guard you. Um, they secure rebounds. And uh, I think I'm a guard guy, so James Akinjo, um, they, they have guards that really can create, create for themselves, create for others, get in the paint at will. And um, just a just a winning pedigree. I think Scott Scott Drew does a really good job of getting these guys just to play really hard. But they you could tell they take it possession by possession, and they really really dig into you defensively, and they they make good decisions on offense. So a veteran group um, with big time coaching um, so that's, that's a great combo in my book. John, I mean on that on the podcast that we did earlier, Arch and I, the next play podcast we broke down Baylor defending Villanova I would just say I'd, I'd encourage you to really watch that simply because it was a defensive performance that you don't oftentimes see like you could watch games from now all the way through the NCAA tournament you may not watch one any better than than that one right there I mean they took a very good disciplined you know well coached maybe the top team in the Big East and they made it almost impossible for them to score 40. And they did it, you know, just with sheer toughness, determination, talent, length around the basket, quickness. And uh, it was really impressive because when you're that elite defensively, I mean, think about what you can play through. You know, that night when the ball doesn't go in, another night when you have one or two of your guys maybe not at 100% or maybe somebody misses a game you can just sustain that winning because your defense travels. It's always going to be there, always going to be there. And I think Baylor defensively is uh, scary. Let's turn to our next question. And I have a couple of Pitt Panthers here tonight. And I look at Pitt. It's a three and seven start to the season. It's two one-point losses to Dakota and to Virginia in dramatic fashion. Uh, what is wrong with Pittsburgh? I would say uh, no identity as right now. And it, it's really tough to form an identity this quick, especially when you have 
that many guys that have left the program. When you talk about the transfers of Xavier Johnson or Dees Tony, you know, Justin Champagne going to the going to the pros. Um, they're trying to find the identity and losing Ethel Horton was was very big um, in terms of perimeter shooting. Um, but, you know, I'm still confident in, in Coach Capel overall. Um, at the end of the day, you need you, you need guys, you need you need talent. And that's that's what we talked about with Arizona, with Baylor, all of the top teams in the country. They have talent. Um, and Coach Capel is definitely good enough when it comes to X's and O's. But having that talent is unprecedented and it's tough. So, um, you know, uh, you guys got have to be healthy. Got, you got to have um, one thing I think that he can actually build on is John Hughley's actually playing really well around the basket and he can really build on that. And um, I, I still think they have a chance. It's, it's, it's tough right now, but, you know, I'm definitely rooting, rooting for my, my Pitt Panthers. <laughs> I'm rooting for them too. And, and let me just hit on this. Um, you know, I watched Jeff Capel coach at VCU, coached against him at Oklahoma. He's an excellent coach. You know, what he did at both VCU and Oklahoma speaks for, for itself. And then on top of it, he was the foundation. I mean, his recruiting ability built a national championship team at Duke. I mean, he's recruited the best players, uh, some of the best that are in the NBA right now, he recruited. I, I don't know if there was a feared, more of a feared recruiter or a more effective and efficient person that could recruit more, more than Jeff Cape. He inherited a program that was 0-18 in the ACC. Think about that just for a second, 0-18. His starting point is a little different than some other guys that have taken over programs. It takes some time. You then put COVID as a world pandemic on top of inheriting a program that was 0-18. And then a couple things happened. Sometimes a couple of things can happen in a good way. When I came to Arizona, when Tim Floyd stepped down as the USC coach in July, we got Derek Williams, Solomon Hill, and Momo Jones. They all came to us in early August. Think about that. That changed the trajectory of a lot of things in Arizona. The ball bounced in our direction. If a couple guys, for whatever reason, it doesn't work out, and they're top players, guys you've invested and got right and brought to your program, and then they leave, on top of that starting point, on top of COVID, on top of, and we could just keep going, I don't care who you are. It could be Coach K at the helm in his prime. He, he's going to have to have, be given the time to bring in a real team, depth, talent, making choices, sometimes making a mistake, getting through that mistake and getting it right. But I believe this, that if he's given that time, I think he will be, um, Pitt can bounce back. You know, ACC, Big East, Big Ten, I don't think it matters quite as much now as maybe it did five, ten years ago. I think guys want to go play in a city like Pittsburgh in a winning program in front of a packed house. And I think all that can come, just like it did in football for Pitt, uh, in the next couple of years, you know, I believe that Ashton and I gave you kind of a coach's perspective, but you know, I'm pulling for him just watching, uh, 
the fake slide and all the good natured things that happen with pit football and seeing Tony Dorsett and Dan Marino and all those guys embracing the run they had. Same thing can happen with basketball. And, and I think Jeff will be there when it does happen. Yeah. I, I still think the sky's the limit for them. Honestly. Uh, you know, when I was there, we, we had a, a specific identity. We were gritty. We were tough. We wanted to rebound. We wanted um, to take good shots. And I think um, as he starts to build that and as he starts to, you know, recruit, as you said, he's a big time recruiter. So he's going to get, he's eventually going to get guys and uh, really establishing that, that tough gritty identity that I think the city actually embraces the steel city. Uh, I, I think the sky's the limit for pit basketball. It's obviously not looking too well right now, but um, they have the right coach right now and with Jeff Capel and, um, you know, he'll, he'll step it up and the program will be in good hands for sure. Hey, I'm going to tell you this too. Now they were, they were a shot away from beating Virginia on the road and beating Minnesota at home. And we, we talked about Minnesota is one of the great stories of this college basketball season. There's going to be plenty more opportunities in the month of January and February for them to win and prevail which gives them some momentum. But I want to go back to COVID. Remember when you have COVID, you're not allowed to evaluate anybody. There are no games to evaluate. You get on no airplanes to bring in the next generation of players. When you inherit a program that's 0-18 and and you're trying to build and then that backdrop happens, I'm just telling you that that's not a fair fight. And I think to judge that in three and a half years is uh, equally fundamentally unfair. Without seeing me play a game in person, what would be? Say that again, John. If you were judging my game, if you were judging my game virtually, you, you can't see me in person. There, there's no in-person scouting. What would be your your just early first impression review? Go ahead, Ashton. <laughs> I'm gonna leave this to you, Coach. I'm leaving. Well, I'm gonna evaluate you kind of on the picture that I'm looking at. I see a young, <laughs> aspiring star with decisions to be made on where you go from here in Las Vegas. <laughs> no, it all depends on when I get that picture taken. I'm not even talking about basketball. Where are you going to eat? Where are you going after that? Are you going to bed on time? Will you rise early tomorrow morning with the business mindset? Are you going to chop wood? That's my evaluation. That's my my pseudo pep talk of be smart, make good decisions tonight. You know, own 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 your own your behavior. <laughs> own the behavior. Keep the shirt on. Keep the shirt. I don't. I'm not judging. All right. Be you. But, you know, like that, that's my home visit for tonight. We're we're talking about off the court things, you know, Ed Cooley style. All right. I'm heading to Chip and Dale's after dark. Happy holidays, everybody. Ashton Gibb, Sean Miller. Ashton, great spending some time yeah. with you, my man. Great to see Likewise. you. So Likewise. Well. Keep keep things going, man. Proud proud of you as a fellow pit pit alum. Uh, likewise, man. I appreciate it, John. Thanks a lot, man. See you, John. Be Good safe, Ashton. Sean, thank you. Good to see. You. I'll be safe, Coach. Straight home.